fellow fiends. Welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week, we are talking Vincent Price movies. That's right. The price is right this week on Nightmare on Film Street. And we are discussing William Castle's 1959 classic, The House on Haunted Hill. And 1953's 3D Technicolor Marvel, House of Wax. I'm so glad we finally sat down to watch this. It's been on the price list for a long time. The price list. Like a shopping list, but of macabre. Yeah, of macabre Vincent Price movies you haven't seen yet. Yeah, it's kind of shameful that we hadn't seen it. But now we have, and we talked about it. I mean, he's been in a lot of movies. Uh, I recently also watched The Abominable Dr. Phoebes, which I've always heard good things about. It's okay. He's a weird villain. I didn't watch it, so I can't comment. Before we get started this week, Kim, what's keeping you creepy? Uh, If you haven't heard, we both sound terribly exhausted. It's because we just got back from the midnight screening of Halloween. We didn't get in until 4 in the morning, and then we woke up early today to write the review and get that out. So the big glaring pumpkin in the room. Mm -hmm. Uh, What did you think of Halloween? Don't worry, guys, we're not going to spoil anything. Obviously, those of you who are already plugging your ears, like we're not going to talk about the movie really at all. Yeah, uh, spoiler-free here, spoiler-free on the site if you want to read the review. Yeah, I wrote that. It's up there. Woo! Yeah, it's really good. Uh, I liked the movie. I didn't love it. I'm really excited to see it again now that the the hype's gone. And, and like, I, the pressure is off. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the really hard part, too, because you're watching it and you're like, what do I think of this? How it, like, you try to just let the movie wash over you and think of nothing while it's going on, but it, it's hard not to try and analyze it while you're watching it. Yeah, and especially this was a really time-sensitive watch. We were, yeah. we had, like, the crazy opportunity of seeing it first going to the world premiere so there was a lot of pressure on us to get our review out quick and to have it be insightful and a really good digestion of what we saw and uh when we got out of the theater there was a lot of praise like a lot a lot of like really high praise for the film and i didn't necessarily get that coming out the gate there's a lot of things that this movie does perfect Mm -hmm. near perfect but then there's also a lot of things that felt a little left by the wayside so i wanted to make sure that at least somebody and i and i kind of took that upon myself because i know that i try to be really honest in my reviews is kind of helping adjust expectations yeah because it happened to me too these films get so much hype and we we see them in this really nostalgic light, especially this film has Jamie Lee Curtis coming back, John Carpenter scoring it and producing. There's so many people involved that love this movie and everybody wants this movie to be great, but there are some things that that aren't perfect about it. And so if, if you go in kind of knowing that and knowing what to expect, you're going to enjoy the movie more, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's victim of the the same problems most sequels are whether they come 40 years after the original or immediately but i mean one good thing and if this is what you're hoping to hear 
Michael Myers is incredible in it. Michael Myers is dope. Yeah. Dope. Yeah, Nick Castle is back uh, from the 1978 original, and good God, he is. He's the best Michael Myers there's been since 1978. Well, I don't think he's playing it solely, so you can't give him all the credit. That's that's true. I mean, like, there are a bunch of people, but... The depiction of Michael Myers in this film is pretty great. Yeah, and it's it's not just the kills or the menacing aspect. There's a lot that went in, went into making this Michael great, and it, it comes down to to everything. The mask is good. The costume's good. Mm-hmm. The physical embodiment oh, is yeah. good. Yep. The death scenes are great, but just just shooting him, the cinematography, mm-hmm. him walking through the set, the lighting. Um, when we do those kind of close-ups of him, everything is so on point when it comes to Michael Myers. And I think that might be where kind of the film lost some of the other aspects is because they were so laser-focused on making sure they nailed Michael, which I thought was going to be really hard and a really impossible feat. And maybe it was really hard. And that's why maybe some things like the plot and the character development Mm -hmm. weren't as... Um, solid as I wanted them to be. Yeah, especially Judy Greer's character, Lori's daughter, and her granddaughter as well. Like, there's definitely more we could have done there. Uh, And, you know, I'd like to see maybe an extended version of the film. But, you know, finer points aside, I think it was still pretty good. I'm excited to see it again. Uh, We're going to talk about it in much more detail again after it comes out in October. Yeah, we'll definitely be doing a Patreon-exclusive episode Mm -hmm. when it drops October 19th. But uh, as John said, you can read the review right now at nofspodcast.com. Another big film that came out this weekend was The Nun. We took the trip to go see that one as well. And, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of The Conjuring universe. Uh, The movies are good, but they seem to be heavily steeped in jump scares. And also, I kind of just have a problem sometimes with the religious good and evil. Because it's too clean cut for me and the rules are... They aren't murky at all. I, I, there's there's no mystery to the, the demons because they are just evil for the sake of evil. Yeah, really. well, and especially with these prequels, we know the nun gets out because the nun is what's haunting Elaine Warren in her house in the second Conjuring film. And the nun film is the prequel slash origin story spinoff of the Conjuring franchise. So we know Valak is getting out of that Romanian abbey. We no kn- matter what. We know it at the beginning. So no matter what these characters do... We're really just in it for the scares, and I found the scares were a little few and far between. Yes, mm-hmm. there were jump scares. They weren't all that rewarding because some of them were just, you know, the hand on the shoulder, make you physically jump because that's how your body reacts to uh, sudden sounds. And the nun, she just didn't hold up for me, and I kind of knew this going in. I didn't really have high expectations because I don't know if there's enough there to carry an entire film. Valak isn't actually a nun. She just wears a habit to trick people. Yeah. So, like, why is she still in the nun outfit when the jig is up? <laughs> yeah, and everybody knows immediately that she's not a nun. That's how she's introduced. Before she even appears on screen, like, oh, yeah, there's this demon. Looks like one of us because it's trying to trick us. So why are you bothering to continue doing this? Yeah, I I honestly wasn't expecting this to be the greatest plot, though, because, I mean, it is... It is what it is, but she's so scary in her own right. They just needed to show her more. They just needed to put her in the movie a bunch. There were too many other creatures. There's a lot more trying to scare you in this movie than just Valak's face. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's something that came out of Annabelle creation because we have so many other monsters in that movie that aren't just the Annabelle doll. 
and it worked really well in Annabelle Creation, but I, I don't necessarily know that it was it was the same here. But you can read the review on the Nun as well on the website. Uh, Nightmare on Film Street contributor Rebecca Cleaver wrote that one. That's at nofspodcast.com. We also have the Patreon-exclusive episode if you want more of our thoughts on the Nun. And that is at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. I'm so tired, Joan. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and we're not even really doing a whole lot for TIFF this year. We've got a few more reviews coming on the site for TIFF. uh, So try and get some sleep where you can, Kim, because uh, pretty soon we will also be in Texas in full Fantastic Fest mode. So if you live in the Texas area and you're attending Fantastic Fest... You always say this in the Texas area. Texas is huge, John. If you're in the Austin area... Do I always say it like that? You do. Oh, all right. If you're in the America area... If you're in the Americas, we will also (laughs) be in the Americas. Like, John, the Americas includes North America, so we're already in the the Americas. Yeah. Well, regardless <laughs> of where you hail from, if you're taking a cab or you're flying into Austin, Texas for the film festival, let us know. Let's let's get together. Let's have a drink. Let's talk about horror movies. And tacos. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for the tacos. And the horror movies, I guess. <laughs> One last thing before we go. I just want to give a big shout out to Brian, Brendan, Dale, and Kenny, our most recent supporters. Thank you very much for your patronage. Um, And if you check the inside pocket on your jacket, you'll find a sneaky little invitation to this macabre little party that we're having up on the hill. Doors are locked at midnight and everybody gets a gun. So it's (laughs) every man for themselves. This is a weird party, I know. But there's a million dollars at stake. And it could be you. If you'd like to support the show, you can head to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. There's all kinds of fun rewards like these weird shoutouts and some cool merch. All right, yeah, my brain's dead. Let's talk about House on Haunted Hill. I'm Vincent Price, and you're invited to my party in the house on Haunted Hill where so far the ghosts have murdered only seven people. So won't you come and make it eight? You'll see human heads without bodies. Mysterious pools of blood dripping from the ceiling. The walls move slowly in against you. Don't try to escape, you can't. waiting so won't you join me in the house on haunted hill hurry or you'll be late for your own funeral so house on haunted hill from 1959 currently sitting at a 6.9 out of 10 on imdb a 96 percent on rotten tomatoes and a 3.4 out of 5 on letterboxd okay Yo, Letterboxd, why don't you like House on Haunted Hill? <laughs> I mean, honestly, Letterboxd, why don't you like anything? No, Letterboxd likes things. Just, you know, there's a big there's a big median. There's a lot of, I hated this, this was crap. And then there's like, this is my favorite movie of all time. And therefore you get the 3.5. It's anywhere between like 2.5 and 3.5. I've never seen a, like a four on, like overall. It's tough. I mean, you'll see it like opening weekend of a movie, but then everybody else catches up and you dip right back down. Yeah. Did we happen to look at any 
critical response to the movie when it first came out? Um, I did for the other film. <laughs> okay, for Hezawax. But I'm I'm gonna assume this film was pretty well received. It's definitely one of the the most iconic films of Vincent Price, if not the sure. same for William Castle. Yeah, but that's that's also kind of why I asked because I don't know how respected Vincent Price was in his day, like in his prime. Yeah, well, I did read that this kind of kicked off his career. Oh, shit. And, well, at least his career in as, like, a horror, like, a notable name in horror, a horror icon. Yeah. This kickstarted his career of, of thin-pointed mustaches and high eyebrows. <laughs> and Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. <laughs> yeah. Um, can, can I just say that Vincent Price can drop a smile like nobody else? He it's because of the mustache. It makes his mouth so long. Hmm. It's really it. I'm inclined to agree with you. <laughs> I have no other no other reason other than just uh it is super creepy when he's he's smiling and he's charming and then it goes away. <laughs> it's just very sinister and it works really well in this movie because his relationship with his wife is not nice. They're very catty to each other. They No, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, but they hate each other. No, it's great, though. Their it, banter is the best. Every time he's gotten sick in, like, the last five years, he's assumed she's tried to poison him. I think she has. You think so? You think, okay. <laughs> totally. Everything they say to each other is about who's getting the inheritance. Like, it's, <laughs> like, that's, that's, you know, that's just their relationship. That's just how they communicate on a emotional level is who's getting the money when the other dies prematurely. <laughs> Man, I can't wait till we're on that level. <laughs> it's going to be so great. We don't have any money. <laughs> that's what I mean. I'm waiting for the money. Um, but you would think he's on his fifth wife? Fourth wife. Fourth wife. Yeah, so far. <laughs> One simply went missing, and two died of heart attacks in, in their, their 20s. 20s. <laughs> I love that he was like, oh, this was so good. I'm going to try it at least once more. But okay, fourth wife. No prenup? Ghosts. We got to do ghosts. <laughs> Death by ghost. <laughs> this movie's nuts. In, like, such a good way. And it's it's not black and white. It's like a fucking inkwell. Yeah. I I don't know how to describe this movie other than that it's one of the only black and white horror films that has, like, a self-awareness on its own um, colorscape. Sure. Lack thereof. Like, its own um, use of light and darkness. Like, I know horror films, black and white horror films, have really cool still moments, and there's really cool marketing vignettes. But this film, is from its entirety, from the beginning to the end, it lives in its own darkness. There's that one um, segment in the middle of the movie where Lance, the pilot character, is investigating the basement, and he goes in a closet, and it's just a black room. And you know you're in a set, but then he goes in another, he's like, oh, it's another closet. And then he goes into a another room and it looks exactly the same as the other closets because it's complete darkness yeah and he goes into it mm -hmm. and it's 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 like that self-awareness because they didn't have like this the same technology we had today where they could watch what they were doing as they were doing it mm -hmm. they had to just shoot and hope for the best plus it was all in black and white and they were living in another world they were living in a technicolor world <laughs> yeah that's so true because this is 1959 and the next movie we're going to talk about from 1953 was already in color i think we watched a colorized version oh you think so I don't, it, the, well, the colors were like so poppy though. But when did White Christmas come out? Yeah, but that's, that's colorized. Also colorized. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen a black and white version of that movie. What? Have you? Yeah. You've seen the black and white, is it any good? I don't know. Yeah. I, now I don't know. Yeah. It's Christmas. <laughs> like, How do you totally, make... <laughs> you haven't? <laughs> okay, so. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I don't everybody know is invited to a party uh, that his 
wife wants to host. She wants to have a haunted house party, and he invites none of her friends. No. He only invites four people, right? Four people? Ish. Four-ish. Five. Well, four people, and then the owner is there for some reason, even though he hates the house. Yeah, it seems like... What's really odd is that he's saying, I'll give you $10,000 if you can stay one night in this house. Also, we're going to arm everyone. (laughs) That's a bit of a twist, right? Like, so you have to... (laughs) If if they don't survive, $10,000 will be given to their next of kin, from what I understand. That's smart. There should be some... Oh, no, if they don't survive, they're all going to split the 50. Like, whoever lives oh, splits the 50. My mistake. Yeah. It's that if he dies, they still get paid. He'll be, they'll be paid by it's his estate. It's from his estate, yeah. And yeah. his wife's like, let's just pay them now because I'm so generous. I hate this party. I'm going upstairs to brush my hair. <laughs> she brushes her hair a lot. She does brush her hair a lot. Is that something that... Now, I, I know nothing about curling my hair. I don't brush my hair at all. I don't do it. Yeah, I but, just have a rat's nose. But you're aware of how much a person in the 50s might have combed their hair for those hairstyles. Well, Is that something that you would be doing like every single night of your life? They definitely brush their hair at night, but that woman has nothing to do. Nothing at all. She's up there all the time. At one point, Nora runs into her room like scared and she's just standing in the corner by the drapes like waiting for somebody to like pop in on her. No, but see, that totally makes sense though because she's waiting for Nora. We find out. Oh, you're right. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Anyway, everybody's been invited to this party. We have a pilot, uh, a journalist, uh, like like Kim mentioned, the homeowner uh, who's terrified of the house the last time he spent a night in there they, they found him in the morning and he was he was almost dead um who else do we have we have nora nora who's the employee yeah an employee of, of his company I, which very, I don't know what they do i have no idea what he does no but they, he says that he has thousands of employees of course like 1959 dollars if you're a millionaire you're basically like bill gates see i was just like in my head secretly just daydreaming that uh, he was actually an amusement park owner, as per the 2000-some-odd sure. remake. Is it sure. 1999 remake? Mm, I think so. Yeah. Um, that's I, oh, that's just what I was thinking. Yeah. And in that because movie, was, so. was he an amusement park owner, or was he just... I, I don't know why I always got the impression that he, he was... He was an amusement park mogul, John. There mogul. aren't many of them. <laughs> we have to respect and protect the ones we currently have. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the introduction of this movie is probably the most creative horror intro of all time. Okay. Uh, I'm throwing it out. I'm just throwing big awards to this movie. Like, hot right takes from Kim today. Yeah. Just like hot take movie from 1959 is good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, I, I want to describe this movie as being very like fit for radio. Oh yeah. And the beginning is such a perfect example of that because you have these big floating heads that come and talk like fourth wall style, like right to the screen and they introduce your cast of characters. It's almost like an overture of sorts mm. or like the film itself is is doing its setup in a very obvious, obtuse way. Mm-hmm. You have these um, translucent heads over the backdrop of your house, which is this like really cool... Um, I want to call it angular, boxy type house. It's a Frank Lloyd right, right, Frank Lloyd right, Frank Lloyd right house. It's According called, to Wikipedia, yeah, it's called the Ennis House. I know that, and it's yep. currently for sale. If anybody has twenty something million dollars, but yeah, and so the heads are right on top, and they uh, Vincent Price introduces each of the characters. They're coming up in hearses one by one, and 
he says, like, this is such and such. She's a journalist. And he also says, like, has a gambling problem. Yeah. Needs the money. Yeah. She's like, what are all these people? Like, come to my haunted house party. You don't know me, but I'm a weird billionaire. And, like, don't you want to come for the gossip? And everybody's like, yes, yeah, I do want to come And also, survive the, the night and you get $10,000. Not like, just come to my party and get $10,000. Like, there's an implication that you might die. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. But I that's mean, also why... If you got an invite to a haunted house party, it's like, survive the free. night, and na 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 I'm like, I hope it's open bar. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking while we were watching the movie about, like, how much money it would take to get us to stay in a haunted house for a night. And then we were like, yeah, I would... What is that? Like, 100000 in today's dollars? I found it out, by the way. It's 83450 in 2017 dollars. Wow. Um... And I was like, I would do it for ten thousand in today's dollars. And I would do it for a hundred dollars in today's dollars. Yeah, like I would do it for free in today's yeah, dollars. Yeah, right. Let me go Instagram live on that ship, and I'm coming. I wouldn't Instagram live, but I would definitely no. be taking some chandelier selfies. Can you imagine there is somebody back then whose sole job was to just go around and light candles? I know. When that chandelier fell, I was like, those are all candles. Yeah, and maybe, okay, so maybe they weren't candles. Maybe it was a gas chandelier. But somebody still had to light them, right? Well, I think it's it's kind of like a pilot light on a stove. Like, you would you would light it, and then you just walk away from it. But the only thing is, like... Does it light them all? You well, have... no, you would have to light them individually, but I think you'd, you'd do that when you buy the house and then it just goes forever, right? I, I you, think... Nobody will sleep here. <laughs> well, I think you have to, rather than paying somebody to light candles, you have to pay somebody to go around and inspect to make sure that the gas isn't just leaking to kill everyone. That's crazy. Just something we'll come back to in House of Wax. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just would like to know... So they just had somebody with a ladder handy, like, at all hours of the day, like, oh, go light the drawing room. I'm thinking of going to play some cards in there later. And then, like, you know, I changed my mind. I had a nap instead. And then he's had to go, like, extinguish all the fucking candles. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like rich people mansions, right? Isn't that why you have caretakers and, like... Like the candle guy? Yeah, the candle guy. Like, I'm trying to not use the word servants, but, like, your hired entourage of help... Bless you. Sorry. There you go. I'm done. Nice. Um. Yeah. I. I don't know. Yeah. It. It just. It's an, It's another world, John. Hmm. <laughs> and those caretakers are there to lock them in at night. At the stroke of midnight, uh, they have to decide whether or not they're going to stay. Um. And if they decide to stay, there's there's no way out from there until sundown, sun up. But uh, <laughs> if if they want to leave, they've got one last chance. Of course, yeah. the caretakers just take off. They do just fuck off. Um, <laughs> but what what I really liked in the remake is how they, I don't want to say that they raised the, raised the stakes on that one, but they made it very clear about the doors and how the door mm. situation went. Like they had the um, the big... The shutters. Like concrete slabs yeah. that went down and closed everything. There's literally no way out. Here it's just like, oh, they've left without the key. Yeah, it's like the one metal door out of the house. Like you're telling me this mansion has no back patio. Like you're telling me. Ooh, good point. <laughs> exactly. But before that happens, we get a bunch of the best scares of the movie. Um, the One of the caretakers, the female caretaker, is blind. Mm-hmm. And you don't know she's the caretaker until she's about to leave the movie. She she keeps appearing to Nora, the the younger of the guests, mm-hmm. who's the employee, when she's alone. 
at the like the strangest times like she's at one point with lance they're investigating the wine cellar Mm -hmm. and they think there's (laughs) wine cellar slash acid bathroom wine cellar acid room and they're i guess they're checking for like a false wall or something and she's patting on the wall and he's in the closet on the other side and they're hearing for like hollow sounds or whatever because he's hit his head and as she's patting and we're watching her pat and Stupid us. We're just paying attention to the shadows that the candle is making. Because we're like, look at how the shadow moves when she gets closer and goes farther away. And we're like, that's great. And then all of a sudden, there's this fucking freaky ass ghost with like claw hands. And her hair is crazy. And her eyes are white. Yeah. And she's wearing this haunting long black gown. And she just floats out of the room in this petrified state Mm -hmm. without... Like, moving, acknowledging her, breathing. Yeah. And it's the scariest image of all time. Yeah, even now. And and it's, you linger on it, too. So it's not like a jump scare that you have to, have, you got to see it quick or it's gone. It's it's there. We see Nora scream, and then the, the ghost just travels across the just room slowly. Like floats on out on a skateboard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's probably how they did it, too. Well, and plus you have in that time, like, the women, unfortunately, the women get terribly hysteric roles in both these movies and mainly movies at the time uh she just like reacts in horror for like 10 whole minutes while this ghost is like (laughs) slowly being pulled out of the room yep yep but i mean it it allows that that scene to be so scary but poor nora is just she is a pawn in this whole movie because she's just this like like flighty girl yeah and the doctor who's there is is essentially just saying like well We've seen this before. It's hysteria. All of us stone-faced men are fine. (laughs) Every time she's upset, they're like, hysteria, put her in her room. (laughs) There there was one great moment, though, where she's standing right there. Like, well, clearly she's hysterical. And there was just like one quick look of her, just like, you fucking asshole. (laughs) I can't believe I'm in this fucking movie. Well, to be fair, she does go quick to like, it's Frederick Lauren, Mr. Lauren. He's the one that's trying to murder me. I'm like, I don't know if there's even been a single scene of you two together alone. So like, I don't know where you're jumping at conclusions here. That's a really good point. I mean, I guess she's assuming that the doctor's not going to strangle her because he's a man of medicine. He's taken an oath. That's true. Lance clearly has the hots for her because he won't let her leave the goddamn room. Yeah. Like they just abandon the party and he's like, no, you're staying here with me. And uh, like not like a not so fast. It's the two of us alone in this weird castle room together. Yeah. Don't worry, I'm not dangerous. I guess. And that's right after the homeowner revealed that the floor has this like removable trap door to a vat of acid that they're maintaining for some reason. Yeah, I'm sure acid goes bad. Like how long ago do those people die in it? It's got to right. I- I'm sure, or it like loses potency. Like, expired acid? Like, somebody falls in and is like, oh, I guess it's a little hot in here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love that, like, the, the, that version of checking the pH in your acid, <laughs> like, in your pool. It, the, it For this movie, is like, oh, look, let's, uh, oh, look, a dead rat. Uh, let's drop that in. Yep, still boiling away. Yeah. But so she just, like, hangs out in there with this, like, suitor of hers. And you're like, hon, you're running back and forth across this trap door of acid. I would... After somebody revealed to me a basement of acid, I'd be like, no more basement. Yeah. Like, sure, I'd still stay in the house because $10,000. Yeah. That's a a lot of money. You stay in the bedroom. You just go in the bedroom, have a nice nap. Ah, but you you see, the bedroom's not any safer because when she goes up for just a little rest, a small bit of reprieve, there's a head in her 
Suitcase. Is that is it a suitcase? It is a suitcase. This is a t- it's a suitcase big enough to hold a head. She's got a nightgown in it after the head's gone. It's just one nightgown. <laughs> That's oh. a nice nightgown, I guess. <laughs> I mean, like, I've got a box that I put my headphones in, like, uh, so they, they don't get damaged and nothing else goes in that box. Um... <laughs> But I don't know that I'd be storing just, like, a pair of pajama pants in, like, a carry-on bag. Well, if you don't want creases in those pajama pants. Okay, I mean, the time (laughs) of silk pajama pants is over. Nobody's doing it anymore. Yeah, but if you're having a slumber with a bunch of strangers, you want to be in your best drawers. (laughs) I gotta say, if if I, as an adult man, was going to a slumber party, the first thing I would make sure is, oh, I'm not wearing matching pants and bottoms, right? What? What? Tops and bottoms. I would not be wearing a pajama set. You'd look oh. like a murderer. You would look like a murderer. I don't even think they're for sale anymore. That's the crazy part. Be like, you've been holding on to those for 14 years? <laughs> they don't even manufacture these anymore. Yeah, but also, too, you're going to maybe die. You're thinking about, like, the pajama pants that you want to die in. And do you want to die in mismatched pajamas, John? Do you want to die? It's how I lived. Of mis- course I wanted to. <laughs> But you're right, Nora is is definitely very unfortunate in this movie. She is picked on, but it's very deliberate because we are priming Nora to be the person who's really going to see all the ghosts and make everyone else believe. Tragically, Mr. Lauren... Mr. Lauren? That's the Vincent Price character. Yeah, his wife, Deborah. De- Annabelle. Annabelle. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, yeah, Annabelle commits suicide. Of course, later on... Uh, Nora sees her out her window and the rope that she hung herself with is snaking its way in through the window and around her legs and it's gonna pull her toward them until she pulls out her gun and the ghost is like, whoa, guns, gotta get out of here. <laughs> how did they do that? The rope thing. Not necessarily in the movie. Like, I, I, I get how they filmed it. But how did the people in this movie who are faking the ghost, because surprise, Annabelle's not actually dead, how did they do that to Nora? Yeah, I don't think there's a logical explanation for how they executed that scene because she's definitely floating around outside of the house that has been locked down. Good point. Yeah. Wait a minute. Um, but how they filmed it is, I think, with the rope thing, the rope was on a was a wired rope, well, yeah. and it was on a string, and, and then, then they, they probably roll rolled the footage backwards. Yeah. Because they definitely used the same footage twice in that scene, but you can't sure tell. Did. It looks amazing. It looks great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun because, like, she's she sees the girl in the window, and then there's the rope on her feet, and she's like, ah! But she doesn't scream. Just, just the mouth. And then she screams later on when she looks at it a second time, and we just roll all that backwards. <laughs> For what she she gets out of the room. it's good, it's good. I don't remember much else about the middle of this movie. Uh, I know that we're supposed to suspect Vincent Price, but who's gonna, really, right? Well, he does say, like, a lot of really ominous things, and then he kind of, um, like, I don't want to use the word assaults, but he assaults his wife a little bit. (laughs) He does grab her by the back of the hair, doesn't he? And he's like, you're coming downstairs, and she's like, okay, after saying no a bunch. So, um... But, you know, the, the like, coldness is back and forth. They're definitely... She did try to murder him. So, I mean, murder, attempted murder is almost assault. <laughs> yeah. Their relationship is very, very great um, because it's so cold. But the banter is so, like, cutting. The dialogue in this movie is on point. On point. Everything is, like, so sharp. Did either of us write any of it down? I did. Oh, good. Um, when he when we first are introduced to her, he, he comes in without saying hello or anything. He's like, is your face on yet? Loved it. And then 
at some point he's trying to pour her champagne and he's like shaking it because I guess that's like a thing that they did. And uh, she's like, don't do that. You'll spoil the champagne. And he's like, meh, meh, meh. <laughs> that was my bits and price. Yep. Dialogue's uh, on point. Yep. But then he's like, uh, in the news the next day, Playboy oh, kills yeah, wife that's right. <laughs> with champagne cork. And he's he whole, points he's... it at her like a gun. And I loved it. It's pretty good. What I don't get about that whole scene, though, like I've opened bottles of champagne before. They are under pressure. And if you shake them a little bit, oh man, are you going to have a champagne like volcano? Yeah, and he was doing that to prevent it from exploding. Which I don't understand. Maybe that thing was open previously because he definitely took the cork off like it was no big deal. He was just like, blah, versus like the struggle we all deal with every New Year's Eve. Yeah, but can you, you, I don't think you can recork champagne. I don't think you can really recork anything. Well, you can recork wine. Yeah. Oh, like yeah, because champagne's a, got, like, that big... Because t- it's under so much pressure! Yeah, like, you, the cork is, like... Once you get the cork out of the stem or the bottle top... Neck? The neck, neck of the bottle? Yeah. yeah. It's, like, double the size. You're like, how did you fit in there? Yeah. Because I talk to corks. <laughs> oh. But, I mean, like, you really could launch that thing at somebody. Maybe not give them a black eye, but definitely ruin the evening. Yeah. Okay, I have one more quote. Yeah. So this is the second time that he's come up and he's like, you have to come downstairs, party with the guests you don't know and the ghosts and the ghouls. And then she says, darling, the only ghoul in the house is you. And then he says something about like, don't be mean, it wrinkles Oh yeah, something. it causes wrinkles. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, ooh, cutting. So good. So good. It is very good. So sharp. Yeah, I, I, I am uh, slightly blank. On a good chunk of the middle of this movie. Yeah, the middle of the movie is basically Nora being in hysterics, unfortunately. She, yeah. she discovers something, and then conveniently nobody is there, and then she runs yeah. around. Everybody and- rushes to her aid. The doctor says she's hyster- she's got hysteria. Yeah, uh, at, at one point, Annabelle, Vincent Price's wife, is hung in the stairs. Yeah. And we don't know that it's Annabelle until they get her in the bed. They let her down. That scene is really great, too, because she's really high up. Like, she is up in the stairwell. She's about mm-hmm. eight feet up, and her feet are dangling. And it's just, like, great gothic horror imagery. But the rope's also tied off to the stair banister. Yeah, somebody oh, definitely did it, because ago. there's also, too, they all remark that there's no... There's nothing she could have climbed up on or yeah. jumped off of. Like, she's up there in the middle of the stairwell, and there's nothing around her. So somebody definitely hoisted her up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But she's, so she's dead. Uh, the psychiatrist who has a, I guess, a, a knack for medical diagnoses of the body and not the mind mm-hmm. <laughs> pronounces her dead. Yep. And um, they're all a little sad, but then they go back to the party. <laughs> Can you imagine being a doctor and carrying around that little kit with you everywhere you went? I think it's adorable. You think it's adorable? It'd be... I, I mean, back then it had like kazoos and band-aids, but... <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'm going to light this match inside a inside a cup. Place it over your heart, and you will be fine in an hour. Like <laughs> I, the... I brought some leeches. <laughs> we oh, still well, use leeches. Do we? Yeah, I don't no. know. No. Yeah, for like bloodletting, right? Like at real hospitals. Um, I, I'm I... gonna say mostly not, but yes, I'm gonna say we do. That it's a cold hard fact. I will <laughs> cross reference it at a later date. Okay, nothing but confidence on something that sounds hysterical. People do use, I don't think there's a lot of like scientific, apparently there's not a lot of scientific evidence behind giving people charcoal when they've overdosed on certain drugs. Really? Or what, when they try to like soak up whatever's in your, yeah. Isn't it supposed to make induced vomiting though? Isn't that the idea? Of no, the charcoal apparently down? when you digest charcoal, it's supposed to absorb like 
toxins. Toxins. <laughs> yeah. I do not like that word. And negative energy. Well, yeah, and then so the natural health community has adapted it into like a, a wellness thing. Like you can digest charcoal tablets or whatever. Um, and they've been doing studies on that, and that hasn't proven anything. And yeah. now they're doing kind of more studies on it being used in the medical world, and it's kind of like, yeah, it's pretty inconclusive. We're still using it, but like there isn't really any hard evidence supporting it. Huh. Like, let's just get back to pumping stomachs. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, okay, sure, it's something you've been doing and you're familiar with it. But if it's not doing anything, it's kind of a waste of money, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um. So should we get to the the spoilery bit of this uh, movie? That oh, this 50-year-old movie? Let's spoil it up. 59-year-old movie. What? It's right? from 1959, so it is... 80 years old? Nice math on that one, Kim. <laughs> 50 plus tw- 70 years old. No, I think no. you're still wrong. <sighs> 40 plus tw- 60 years old. <laughs> 59 years old, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so, spoilers. Damn. <laughs> Vincent Price did it all. No, well, you what? That is not even the right spoiler. Nope. You spoiled it wrong. Yep. So, Annabelle did it all, sure. and she's not dead. She appears to Nora out the window for some reason, but her whole plan is hinging on this young girl getting hysteria to the point of using the gun that Vincent Price gave her mm-hmm. and basically shooting anything that moves. Yeah. And the doctor choreographs it, who she's sleeping around with. Yep. Which Vincent Price invited him, so I don't really know how that ended up. Oh, it's all intentional. But, well, how did she work around the invite list to get him invited is my question. In the remake, the ghosts typed it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is weirder because like, no, i like it i like it a lot i mean it'd be okay if that was something we found out at the end of the movie no but, like, i love that the opening credits like backspace 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 <laughs> fuck these names <laughs> and why did they invite two people that were clearly able to defeat the ghosts like well we need to invite the final girl come on jeff like ghosts can't see into the future they're from the past i would assume ghosts can see into the future not in the Haunted Hill universe. Okay. Maybe it's because they're cursed. Possibly. <laughs> oh, like, you're bad ghosts, so yeah. no time travel yeah. for you. Yeah, it's just past you and present. You exist in only one space and mm. only one time. Yeah. So think about what you did. Yeah, had you have been good, you would have been able to see what we're having for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you just get to be an ink blot. Okay, <laughs> moving back, moving away. So, what was I on? Oh, so she orchestrates... <laughs> She orchestrates it all with her boyfriend, yep. psychiatrist, and I love how when she actually wakes up for the first time, she's like, take off this hanging harness. It's 1959, and you guys have a, like, a hanging harness? You have a term for the hanging harness? I'm, and maybe it was, like, because magic was kind of big back then. Oh, maybe. I'm sure it was used a lot, but, like, take off this hanging harness. Like, where did you get that? Did you get that at Walmart? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Like, how do you, like, I excuse me, sir, I'm looking for a hanging harness. Like, <laughs> oh, aisle 10. Like, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, I, mean, I guess you can get it maybe at a magic shop. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the plot really kind of, like, just winds up at the end, and the doctor leads Vincent Price downstairs, where Nora's, like, freaking out in that acid room, and, and she shoots... What we assume is Vincent Price, dead. Mm -hmm. But then the psychiatrist comes down and there's a tussle and the power goes out. And he gets pushed into the acid bath. But we don't know until... Okay. Annabelle comes down and she's like, where are you, boyfriend? 
Yeah. And then Vincent Price like orchestrates some skeletonry. <laughs> yeah, I mean like okay, it's pretty great though. Like the skeleton coming rising up out of the acid and then like basically chasing her down. Um, I love it. I think it looks awesome. Yeah. It's weird. He had to be so many steps ahead, though, <laughs> to get that skeleton in that acid bath. And, like, yeah, on safely, too, right? <laughs> to puppeteer. But it looks great. And it's kind of a short skeleton. Like, it's way shorter than everybody, which, like, kind of diminishes the scare factor. But when the skeleton hand pushes her into the vat of acid, it's... Yeah. Amazing. It's a little cheese balls, but it's great. Yeah, but like, I mean, it is great. That's why it's one of the most used GIFs ever. Yep. What is that string made out of? If like the, if the skeleton can go into the acid. Teflon. Teflon? You don't think acid that can like burn flesh can go through Teflon? I don't know what Teflon is. <laughs> I think he might have meant to say something like Kevlar. That's what I meant. What like is Teflon? Tefl Teflon tape is like... Oh, now I'm losing the thread here. <laughs> Isn't like cling wrap made of Teflon? Or no, Teflon tape using plastic. plumbing? Isn't it like a plastic? I thought Teflon was bulletproof. But You're thinking of Kevlar. Kevlar. Yeah. Whatever. 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 We shouldn't talk about things we don't know about. One I of them is don't... Teflon and the other is Kevlar. <laughs> Add them to the list. I know zero about both of those things. But yeah, he's he's got like the craziest little like puppeting uh, apparatus at the end I of the movie. I love it though. It's like a cigarette girl's like... <laughs> case that he's jiggered up to have like yeah. like knobs and pulleys well, yeah exactly like what do any of those do like he should be like pulling the rope to like move the feet but instead he's just directing a tonka truck or something <laughs> whatever it's pretty great no it is great and so our final shot is um the owner saying something ominous and it like zooms into his face as he breaks the fourth wall and he's like the yeah. next one could be you Ooh. and then it says the end we all clapped because it's a great movie. Did you happen to read about the Amergo? I did. That William Castle invented. Yeah. So William Castle, who directed this movie, is uh, referred to as the king of the gimmick. And he definitely was. Like all like the cool stuff you would hear about in old school horror movies is mostly William Castle. The Amergo was a skeleton that would whip through the theater in 4D, like when the skeleton in this movie comes out. So if you've watched Scream 2. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. I was so going to say. Yeah, and you see like the ghost face going through the theater before the movie starts. That's the Amergo. That's the idea. I've you know, never been to a movie where anything exciting has flown through this through the sky no I'm really disappointed there was there was one time we went to like that shrek 4d experience at universal studios oh with the spider thing yeah there's like a little rubber tube that like hits the bottom of your feet so you think there's spiders crawling around i don't like that <laughs> <laughs> i also didn't like that i had to wait an hour in the sun to to experience that so <laughs> well, i mean you gotta wait an hour in the sun to experience anything I don't like this song. Nobody likes this song. Or an hour. <laughs> it's our biggest enemy. And yet we can't defeat it. We've our... just launched a secret missile. They're calling it a probe. But I know we're trying to destroy the sun. It's it's an ongoing process. One day we'll get there. But the sun is our mother. I think we all have a complicated relationship <laughs> with our mothers. No, I'm just... Some of the other really cool... I, I, I lost where I was. Some of the other cool stuff that William Castle's done. He did this really cool thing in The Tingler with... Uh, Vincent Price as well, where uh, he had like electricity hooked up to the bottom of the chairs. So you'd never get away with this today, right? And like the whole idea is that this this monster would tingle and you would feel it. So your chair would get slightly electrocuted and you'd feel a buzz. But it wasn't every chair. It was just like occasionally like the odd chair in the theater. So people would occasionally scream. 
That's very cool. Yeah. My favorite one of his, lastly. And I'm sorry, like, if you want, you can go to nofspodcast.com and just look up William Castle. Uh, and one of our writers put together this really awesome article explaining all of the cool stuff he's done. But his first, first movie, he knew it was no good. But he took out a $10,000 life insurance policy in case anyone happened to die of fright during the film. And so that was the idea. Like, go, and if you die, like, you'll get $10,000. Um, and obviously no one did, so nobody had to cash in on it, but it was a gimmick and it got people to the theater. My favorite was like the chicken corner he made for um, yeah. <laughs> 13 Ghosts. And they had like little intermission breaks where like anybody, if they were too scared, they could like put their hands up and they would be escorted to the chicken corner. Yeah. <laughs> and it literally, they had like yellow footprints on the ground, like this way, chicken. <laughs> and he made them sign like a chicken waiver and like he just like- And there was a nurse there. Yeah. He completely humiliated them. It's pretty great. But I guess we're we're wrapping up on House on Haunted Hill. So what is your rating, John? Um, Man, this movie's gorgeous to look at. I'm going to give this movie a 3.5 out of 4 Eberts. Very good. Because it deserves it. I mean, it lulls a little in the middle, so like I'm going to deduct a little bit. Yeah, I'm just going to go 4 out of 4 because I think yep. it's classic and I think it's sure. one of the greatest horror movies ever. I don't really I mean, think no, you need to throw your hands up. It's a difference between a 3.5 and a 4. Like, yeah, but... <laughs> we're splitting hairs here. I know, but, like, so I'm justifying it more to myself because I think, like, Nora is a really unfortunate character because yeah. she spends most of the movie just, like, running around and being um, inefficiently terrified. Yeah. But... It's the 50s. Uh, it's not 40. It's, pu- it's purely for the, the housekeeper ghost at the beginning. Oh, man. That shit is nightmare fuel. And yeah. I don't think nothing, like, anything will top that imagery for me yeah for me like there are some amazing shots this movie that i i I couldn't find online i was trying to find some photos for a a tweet and uh there's this trap door this hidden room and we have like the moonlight shining in through the the bars on the window and it's creating like this perfect sort of prison look but just like the depth in that scene and like how the black and white is sort of utilized in it it looks so gothic and so great and uh, just like the shots down that hallway are so perfect, but you're gonna have to see it to believe it. I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. this movie's free on Hoopla. If you haven't seen it in a long time, download Hoopla. Use your library card. It's watch in the it public domain. You can watch it on YouTube. Is this on the public domain? Yeah. All right, that's pretty cool. They forgot to renew the copyright. Fuck. Yeah. Yep. That's gotta suck. Yep. House of Wax from 1953, currently sitting at a 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb, a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3.5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Pretty similar. Uh, slightly better? Yeah, it's a little higher, uh, except for Rotten Tomatoes, but it is in 3D. Right? In color. I guess there was, Guy- like, the hype on color. Like, Whoa, this shit's so bright. When wa- When was, like, the first color movie? I honestly don't know. I think this might have been colored in retrospect, to be honest, because the version we watched was, like, super 
so th- there's there's my real question. So we know that there's plenty of films that were in black and white and then color. Wait, where did it become actual color? Like, where did we leave off from Technicolor? Well, Is that the, the like the ADR version of color? Yeah, te- I think Technicolor. But well, it depended though on the budget because color was expensive. So that's why a lot sure. of horror movies were in black and white, like well into the '60s. And was The Wizard of Oz not released in color? And that movie came out in like nineteen, good point, forty three or something. It might have even been earlier, like thirty nine or whatever. I think, yeah, I think and like that early. was like a like a marvel. Of, Fuck, was that the first color movie? I think so. God damn. Yeah, or Snow White or Snow White's a cartoon. Doesn't count, right? Yeah, I guess it doesn't count. Well, you know, come to think of it, why were any cartoons ever in black and white? <laughs> if it was literally just like, oh, I just you don't putting... think that they had the technology for like moving pictures in color. Because you still, have I guess you still have to photograph animate it. the yeah. But yeah, that's why horror movies were black and white so long. Still works though. I love. I I think they right. should still be in black and white. <laughs> oh man, like a good black and white horror movie. I would love that right now. It'd be a good deliberate choice. Yeah. So House of Wax, I had never seen. Really, always wanted to see. Uh, I've seen the shitty Paris Hilton remake, which is nothing at all like this movie. I actually have not seen that movie either. Oh, you have This haven't? is my first, like, House of Wax in general. Um, it's like your typical 90s sort of slasher, but there's, like, wax and a house. <laughs> yeah. It was Platinum Dunes. Like, it was, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, House of Wax. Yeah. Like, I want to say you could chalk it with those, like, Dark Castle remakes, but I don't think it was them. Okay. But it fits in with the, oh. like, 13 Ghosts. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Yeah, 13 Ghosts. That was Dark Castle. Yeah. Shebang. (laughs) That movie is actually closer to Tourist Trap, which Mm. is um, a really fun movie that I only discovered last year, which I'm really embarrassed to say. It's really fun. It's got this like Texas Chainsaw vibe, but it's also House of Waxy. So, I mean, if you like those two movies, you should go check that out. It's on Shutter right now. It's pretty good. Uh, But this one follows Vincent Price, who is an artist. He plays Henry Gerard. Yeah, with a personality as strong as his chin beard. (laughs) Leave his chin beard alone. So he is a sculptor and he has a house of wax. Surprise. Uh, But he does not want to do the macabre. He is an artist. He paints fictional, no, not fictional, non-fictional historical scenes. Yeah. Uh, The darkest he will go is the assassination of Abraham Lincoln with Henry Wilkes Booth. And he's got Marie Antoinette, who was a little little dead. And he also has... um, What's her name? Joan, Joan of Arc, Arc, who is also like at the stake. So you're like, this isn't macabre. I'm pretty sure this is macabre. Yeah, and it's not like he's depicting anything specifically violent. It's just a full-life replica of Marie Antoinette just hanging out. Is she holding a cake or is she holding flowers? I think she's just standing. Yeah, okay. Being all eloquent. Yeah. The cake thing's not real anyway, right? Mm-mm. I don't think so. I don't think- well, I mean, we're, we're going by a quote from like, 16th century yeah. France. I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You, people have been yelling fake news on that for 400 years, though. So I mean, it's got to be true. <laughs> uh, they were just trying to like exemplify that she had no no sense of what life was like for the for impoverished. The peasants, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, because Vincent Price refuses to get down to the level of gimmicks and scares, cheap scares, his business partner has had enough. The financiers aren't going to give them money for maybe even then three months. And mm-hmm. so he just decides, like, we're going to burn it all down. We're going to split the insurance money. It's going to be grand. Yeah. I don't understand why he thinks that Vincent Price would be cool with that. Like, Yeah, this is this 
poor guy's art. And yeah. unfortunately, the wax figures would have to go because they're what's insured. Yeah, it's not just the building itself. So he just, like, lights everything on fire, spills some paint thinner. There's a lot of, like, fist fighting for a really long time. Yeah, um, the opening sequence of this movie is very long and very dangerous. It's so long. And but it's, it's great. And like, it's I'm not scary. saying it's bad. It's so scary to watch right? because you're like, you guys didn't have the technology to fake this. No. Like, poor real Vincent Price is in the fire there. Yeah. That is real Vincent Price. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this was, uh, it, it, in some regards, it was like an Inglorious Bastard-style fire. It looked so dangerous. And it was long. And I read this on IMDb. I don't know how, like, true it is. But apparently, they were doing controlled fires mm-hmm. on certain parts of the set. And they lost control of it. But because the dolls were so expensive to make, they said that they kept shooting even though the fire department was on their way. And they were still filming the footage as they were putting out the fire. Wow. So it's like, okay, we're putting out this fire over here. You fist fight over on this balcony for a few minutes. That's It was crazy. Well, there is one scene where they're fighting in that little upper balcony section where the door is. Yeah. And I think it's a stunt double. I, 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 I can't be sure. But... Vincent Price's character gets pushed off the banister, which is on fire. And it him and this flaming banister fall half mm. a story down. And it's all on camera. Wow. It, and it's it's terrifying because it's just like there's I can see the floor. There's no mattress there. Also, it's on fire. <laughs> yeah. You don't mess with fire. Yeah, and so they tussle in there for a really long time. His partner gets out. Vincent Price, you think, is is going to die in there because he's having a hard time getting out. Yeah. When he finally does, like, give up on his mannequins, which have, like, melted melted away, which yeah. looks really, really ominous because they have their, like, smiling, plasticky faces and there's just being engulfed in flames. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine how scary this scene was for the early 50s audience because it's not like, like, this would have been the goriest thing they'd ever seen. Yeah, it's wax and all, but they've got this harder exterior that that seems to melt and fall away first. And it looks like with the score and with the fire. And you're right, just like with these like happy, pleasant eyes. It is so unsettling even now. Yeah. And like the eyeballs fall out of the sockets and then the heads fall off the bodies. Super, super morbid. Totally works. We watch it for way too long. I mean, by today's standards, we watch that scene for way too long. But I mean, that was expensive and that was some crazy technical effects. Plus, it was in 3D. Can you imagine seeing fire in 3D in a movie? Oh, that would have been so cool. Like, that's a huge gimmick. So I know why they stayed there for so long. But unfortunately, because Vincent Price's character stays there so long, there's this one exit out the side and he runs through it. And then that whole facade collapses immediately after yeah i don't know how they filmed that without him actually running through there right before it fell down Mm -hmm. but by today's standards i I was like they almost killed vincent price that day (laughs) yeah i mean like yeah maybe maybe it was a double i don't think so and i I think it was just rigged so that way once you got to a certain point somebody on the opposite side of that wall would push it over Mm -hmm. it didn't really look like it was balancing anything else we flash forward we're following the business partner, mm-hmm. and he is courting the lovely Kathy Gray, played by... Carolyn Jones? Carolyn Jones. Is that her name? I think that's it. Morticia Adams yeah. herself. She is so adorably bubbly in this. And like, <laughs> so this came out 11 years before the Adams Family series. So mm-hmm. She wasn't a personality at this point. Yeah. But her, the character she plays has so much personality, like she's already a notable character actor. When 
when they did Plan 9 from Outer Space and they cast Vampira in it, she just played Vampira. Yeah. And it's almost like they did that with this. Like, they let her be this, like, weird, quirky, even though she's a side character, she's got so much weird personality and her voice is odd. She wasn't... She wasn't Morticia then. No. She was she was still like a a bit part actress, which is really cool. She like commands a lot of the attention in that role. She's so quirky and odd. She's not in it for long though, unfortunately. She isn't, but I love her in it. Yeah. She uh she falls victim to What's Vincent Price's character's name? Henry Gerard. Henry Gerard. <laughs> now, we don't know that. All we know is that she's in bed and she's not breathing. Her, her friend Sue finds her. Um, and there's a ghoul standing over her bed, like a family opera style ghoul. His face is all mangled. He's got a big hat and a cape. Yeah, like Duckman style. <laughs> Duckman. Um, but you would to- you totally skipped over. So she was originally being courted by the partner, yeah, who gets hung in his elevator shaft. Yeah, and then the next time we see her, she's just like talking about it nonchalantly, like, "Oh, he's dead, but I'm being entertained by somebody else now," which was great. But yeah, and then she she meets her end and is stolen from the morgue. <laughs> yeah, his plan is so messed up, right? Because clearly he's trying to kill her, but take her from her bed is that what is that what it is you think she she went out for drinks with him he's poisoned her and then she died in her bed later on yeah i I think he's been trying to poison her for a long time but she keeps like putting down the drinks she's been like keeping her wits about her yeah and not drinking like not getting inebriated with him so Mm -hmm. i think his intentions have been for her to die in his company okay got it but has not happened that's so funny and Sue stumbles in and, and sees her, her friend uh, dead and the ghoul and then a chase ensues. Did she try and chase him or? She's running away. Like she is in escape mode and he's chasing after her. Yeah. And then she hides for a really long time in the alley. And then she goes to like her <laughs> family's house or her boyfriend or. It seems like it's a family friend who then just becomes a boyfriend. Yeah, because then he becomes like her like personal are you okayer? Yeah, are you okayer and you're definitely crazy. Let's Let's go to the police officer so he can tell you you're crazy. Yeah, rather like I love that. That is my favorite part of this movie. It makes no sense. Uh, at least by today's standards. Like, you have a, oh, let's, sure, let's make an appointment. Let's go talk to the police officers tomorrow and you can let them know everything you saw. But in this movie, it's that and then with the caveat, yeah, let's take you, let's go to the police tomorrow so you can tell them everything you know and they can assure you that you're just nuts. Yeah, and even in that scene where she's she's just been let into the friend family house, whatever, and the murderer is outside, literally chased her to the door and her friend was just murdered and she says all this like between sobs and then the woman's like comforting her. She's like, it's okay, it'll be fine. It's like, they're dead person, like freshly dead person, murderer outside let's not let's not humor like the man should be throwing his shoes on and running outside with like the household gun because we know they all had a a gun (laughs) gun. fucking mantle that's what should be happening why is nobody calling the police like do they have the phones then i don't think so this This is is, like 1890 1890 new york here's the here's the crazy part it's like 1890 new york but they mentioned something about like 1900 like i think i think maybe there's a few years uh, between the opening sequence oh. and when he comes back to establish himself again. That makes sense. Um, what I do love, though, is that we're watching um, 
like a vintage movie by today's standards, which is a period piece. So there's a lot of jokes in there for like 1950s era life. Yeah. <laughs> like about women's outfits that were acceptable slash not acceptable and cars. There's some jokes about cars, automobiles. Yeah, he was run over by one of those automobiles yesterday. Like, I don't know about those. I don't think they're ever going to catch on. Yeah, like there's funny jokes like that, which like, you're watching today and you're like, what are they doing? Oh, I see what they did there. <laughs> I mean, like we're probably doing the same thing now with with electric cars or self-driving cars. Like there's jokes about that in some movie, right? Yeah, I mean, like if it, that 70s show like lived on that premise of like, this is the 70s. <laughs> so I get the nod back kind of thing. Uh, it's just odd to watch with, like, something outdated, talking about something outdated and, like, laughing. <laughs> yeah, it's a completely different generation's outdated joke. Yeah. <laughs> it is nuts. And there were some times where they used words. I can't remember what the word was. But I was like, is that a word that they used in the 50s that they were using in the 1890s? Oh, oh, oh Sue, I don't need any mad money. Yeah, and I was like, is that an 1890s phrase that they knew in the 50s and they were using? Or is I that a 50s it. phrase that they were using in the 1890s to be funny? Like, That's what I think. That if we said, like, oh, what's a word from now? Fam. Yeah, like fam or like it's ship. A, yeah, it's, it's like a... <laughs> like somebody in like the 50s saying, like, I ship that. And you're like... I'm not going to lie. I don't know what you're saying right now. <laughs> Worship. Oh, okay. Like, you know, you ship a fandom. Fair enough. I'm only hearing about it now. Mm. I only heard about tea the other day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm way behind on everything. That's okay. I'm just I, an old man. I'm like, I'm in that era where like I use these words for the brand to be funny. Oh. And then I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like all those other companies that are doing that doing same your account. stupid yeah yeah and you're like oh we're all old and out of touch and like yeah using these dank memes and it's just like oh this is no don't do it we'll just stop like, by the time it reaches you it's already dead yeah that's what you gotta remember i know like i'm, I'm still bread and i'm just like yeah. i'm just like leeching that bread for all its work i mean like for cool words and stuff we've been stale bread since we left high school like that's just the breeding ground of new words yeah yeah. So one, two, skip a few. Uh, we are moving on to the opening night of the Wax Museum and the Chamber of Horrors. Yeah, so Gerard is back. He's in a wheelchair and he's got some frail hands because he was burned up in a fire, but not burned up to the point of death. Yeah, all that got hurt were his hands. Yeah, well, and he's also in a wheelchair. Oh, yeah. That's that's a good Which point. It's a big, big injury. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, honestly, um, I would think that if you got into a fire or any problem involving fire and came out with your face intact, you're probably very lucky. Yeah. I would think. Yeah, I would say so. Especially if you got, like, lots of hair. Oh, by the way, Kim, if we get into a fire, your face is the first to go. Think about that. You've got so much hair. Yeah. It's well conditioned, though. <laughs> so it'll fight the fire? Hopefully. I mean, I don't use, like, synthetic hair or anything, so, like, we're all in the same boat here. Face hair. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I want to stop talking about fire now. It's upsetting me. <laughs> yeah. Fire's kind of terrifying. So, uh, Gerard is back. He's opening up his new House of Wax museum. He's got a bunch of assistants now who are, like, protégés mm -hmm. who are creating the art on his behalf. So, he's supervising and he's telling them, like, deeper wrinkles and, yeah. like, stronger brow. Yeah, like, he's really in there. He's doing everything but putting his hands on the actual wax figure. Exactly. And now, because he's survived such a trauma, he is... 
Um, he's singing to the public's level, and he's going dark, and he's yeah. going scary, and he's going to shock and awe, which is perfect because this movie's in 3D, and we get a really cool fourth, fourth wall sequence. There's like a little intermission, and then we get the grand, grand opening, and there's like a ringmaster out front with a paddle ball. Yeah, like they've got a barker trying to like bring people into the museum, but he's using wiffle balls, right? Is it wiffle ball? Paddle Paddle ball. ball. Paddle ball. Yeah, he's got two paddle balls, but he is flinging them, like, at women's heads. And yeah. he, at one point, he turns right to the camera, and he is bouncing that thing right at the screen. And he even remarks to the audience, like, oh, there's someone with popcorn. And, yeah, watch out there, sir. Oh, it's great. And it looks great for, like, I guess it's just a guy, like, whapping a paddle ball at the camera, but it looks really good. People would have lost their shit. Yeah, and, like, the fire and stuff. And the fun fact about this being in 3D the director was blind in one eye. No. So, yeah, and a, a Vincent Price remarked in a, in an interview once just how ironic it was and how he just, like, he gave no care about the 3D aspect. He was just, like, filming his movie. Yeah. And even audiences reacting to it, he was just like, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> Well, yeah, he never would. He's got no depth perception. Yeah, but that, that was really cool. That's really interesting. And it's crazy that the elements that they did go with, like the can-can dancers and the, the paddle ball and the fire and stuff, would have been so impactful to the audience. Yeah. There's even a fight sequence at the end of the movie where, like, occasionally where a punch won't land and it'll come out toward the screen. Oh, cool. So good. P.S. The Those two assistants that he has, one of them, whose name is Igor, is a very young Charles Bronson. Which is weird. Yeah, it is, like, really interesting. I mean, like, Charles Bronson was in The Great Escape. I can't imagine he was too old when that came out. But I just don't imagine him being a young man in the early 50s in Hollywood. Yeah, and they've really, like, painted up his face to make him look very gaunt. He's so, like, Frankenstein-esque. Yeah, the name's fitting, then. At the opening night, Sue sees her friend Kathy... As the Joan of Arc character. Or at least she thinks she sees her friend Kathy. And it's spitting image. She is, this wax figure is done to perfection. Like, even down to the pierced ears. Yeah, Vincent Price is very quick to jump in and be like, I believe I can answer these questions. You see, I I need inspiration. So I took her photo from the newspaper after the police had shown it for her murder. And unfortunately, this is how she will be immortalized, yada yada. But mm-hmm. her Sue is just like, eh, there's something wrong about this. I just I don't trust it. And even from that moment, the first time she sees it, she is climbing all over these wax figures. She is. So it's like on this burned at the stake pyre, and she's climbing up it and like touching the face and stuff. And you're like, ma'am. Ma'am. Please, ma'am. Please get off the model. This is why you can't get within like 10 to 20 feet of a painting now at a museum. The rest of the movie is a lot of back and forth between, uh, let's just say our Nora character saying, hey, something crazy's happening, and everybody else saying, no, you're the one that's crazy. But I guess the cops at some point are, they, they recognize one of the guys that's working on the wax figures, but he's got a beard now, so they can't be sure. Yeah, well, and also, too, they're walking around the exhibit and they're seeing a lot of these people look familiar to them. Like, this looks like my uncle and this Mm -hmm. looks like the new commissioner and this looks like that guy that was hung and went missing. That's the, the craziest thing. Okay, sure. Maybe one or two of these people will resemble... Uh, figures that have been in the news 
but all of their bodies are also missing. <laughs> it's not even just like, oh, this guy looks surprisingly like my dead cousin. It's like my dead cousin whose body was taken from his grave or the morgue yeah, or like, whatever. As a matter of fact, there was a busload of bodies missing. Now yeah. that you mention it, every single person here resembles someone who's gone missing after death. How would you think you could get away with this? At least, at least kill and steal from a different village i know like multiple places you have you have people you they could be your drivers you can go to the towns over um but he doesn't do that why doesn't he just alter their their figure a little bit i know i guess he did give one person a mustache but that's not nearly (laughs) enough i mean like well he didn't even do the hair technique that he was doing in the beginning because uh at one point uh, sue who's like so convinced that joan of arc is kathy takes the dark hair off and the blonde hair is underneath. He hasn't even replaced their hair. Her hair's still styled too, like from when she died. (laughs) That perm is holding up. It is holding up. (laughs) During the first meeting too, Vincent Price realizes how much Sue resembles like his iconic creation who burned in the fire, Marie Mm -hmm. Antoinette. And she was like his favorite piece. Yeah. And spitting image. Mm. So to impress her and convince her to come model for Marie Antoinette. They show her her own severed head in a box. (laughs) Look, we made you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, okay, sure, maybe that's a little... You know, that's probably a dangerous move anyway, because clearly they're not nearly as good at sculpting as they are at killing people, right? Yeah, because, I mean, that sculpture is not uncanny. No, not at all, but everything else in the building is. Yep. I guess if he was like, hey, here's a rough draft, like yeah. that, that'd be a little different. But instead, he was like, hey, we had this man made your, make your face. It's not nearly as good as anything else in the building, but surely you'll accept that excuse. <laughs> Buy it. <laughs> and they don't convince her to come back. Like, she seems like she's impressed, but she's definitely like, nah, I'm, I'm not going anywhere near this guy. Yeah, it's weird because she's she's almost like being polite because he, he offers his explanation like, oh, no. I just I saw your friend in the paper and I remade her and he's like oh that's nice she would have liked that she liked the spotlight kind of thing (laughs) and then as soon as he leaves she's like nah I don't trust that guy I'm gonna come in here at night and check things out and you're like what I don't even know if that was her plan I think she was going to meet her boyfriend who was there to help him sculpt somebody that like some new addition to the museum because he's also a budding artist yeah why didn't he murder him then Vincent Price did he try I think he wanted to oh because he seemed very surprised and upset when he heard that that Sue was going to come meet him. Mm. And it was like, oh, we don't have all night together for murder. Mm. <laughs> what do I do now? So he sends him out to the corner store to pick up some materials. Basically, just like get away. Yeah, to get away. So that way when Sue shows up, the place is empty. Mm. That's actually a really creepy sequence. Like her walking through the wax museum after hours with the lights out and stuff yeah because igor is there and he keeps popping up in spaces pretending he's a mannequin so there's this one spot where there's all these heads in a row and then there's his (laughs) and because he's wearing all that gaunt like theater makeup he looks like a wax head yeah he fits in perfectly and you're like oh they turned igor into a wax figure like oh no that's just igor hiding and being a creep um but there's a lot of cool segments in there with shadows and stuff um there's a really funny scene where she goes into the workshop and there's something swinging which is really cool and creepy because it's leaving a like a shadow Mm -hmm. while it's 
swinging, but there's a tap dripping. And she's like level eight terrified. Like she's like mouth open yep. in silence, like slight horror. And she like reaches over and tightens the tap. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what's really going like, to make this a little less atmospheric. Yeah, like let's take one of these spooky elements down a notch. <laughs> oh man, that's so funny. I love that though. There is one thing that we've completely glossed over this entire time. Now that I'm thinking about uh, Igor looking very much like some of the sculptures, there is a character in this movie that looks exactly like Vincent Price. Oh my god, Are we we had to Google it while we were watching it because I was like, is that his older brother? They look identical. Is it like the commissioner or it's the? It's it's um the detective. It's a hopeful investor. Oh, okay. uh, Mr. Wallace, I think is the name. He looks so much like, especially from yeah. like the side. His profile side profile wise. is identical. Well, and they have a similar mustache oh. and they have a similar hairdo. Now that I'm thinking about it, what? What if he modeled himself after Mr. Wallace? Of course, he looked like him originally too, like at the beginning of the yeah. movie before he had you to don't like make any sense. recreate his <laughs> own face. But the cool thing about that scene where we first realized he looked, they look very similar. Igor is in the back sculpting. Um, like a bust, but of he's himself. he's sculpting his own face. So you have Igor and a bust of himself, and then you have Vincent Price and this investor person. And they look it's it's like two mirrored images in the same scene. That had to be intentional. Yeah, I I need somebody. I need a quote from somebody remarking on how similar that they looked and how intentional that was. Yeah, it was a cool choice. It looks like his brother. I I, I would love it if. It was because Vincent Price was trying to sculpt uh, his new face. Uh, because, surprise, we find out that the ghoul who's been chasing Sue is Vincent Price. Um, Which we all kind of knew. But... I, th- I think we all knew, but good God, was that reveal incredible. So, I, had no, I hadn't seen this movie. I had no idea that he was wearing like a ceramic slash wax face. Yeah. I thought that at night when he was going to like capture these people and he didn't want to be seen, he was just slathering wax on his face. He was making himself look like a ghoul. Yeah, like I thought he was faking that he was burnt because, I mean, he was able to walk. He did that reveal where he stood up in his wheelchair. So I was like, oh, he wasn't actually burned in that fire at all. And then they reveal that his that is his actual face. Yeah, because she punches him and it just shatters and reveals this horrible face underneath. It looks so great. Oh, it was such a good reveal too. I didn't even notice that that wasn't his face. Mm -hmm. Like I I guess I wasn't looking. Like it should have looked like a wax face for that cut. And I yeah, it happened so quick too. Did not notice. So great. It was good. It was so good. And that's where his plan really falls apart. Like, I think from there, he's just, he's he's obsessed. He's got to get Marie Antoinette, right? Yeah, because, like, the, the police are closing in. Her boyfriend's closing in. She's still alive and tied up, ready to be do- dropped in this vat of wax. Mm-hmm. And it's got to, like, get, it's got to raise up to, like, 500 degrees Fahrenheit or something before it'll boil over on yeah, her. Yeah, so he's just evil villain brooding around his lab. Well, in the wax museum, Igor's fighting everybody on his behalf. Yeah, Igor's trying really hard to get somebody into the guillotine, which, um, I don't know why they have a real guillotine I know, in their show. I know, like a liability waiting to happen. Like, one of those little children visitors is losing a thumb. At the very least. Like, I know that they're, they're using it to... To, to cut off the head of a wax figure that they have set up in the gallows at some point. But, I mean, it really doesn't have to be that sharp if it's only cutting through wax. That's true. It could just be, like, a cardboard 
guillotine. Card like a, a sharp piece of cardboard could go through a pile of glue. It doesn't even actually have to go through anything now that we're thinking about it. Like the head could just be there and it when it comes down it, it just, just like hits, sh- yeah, it knocks it off. Right? It'd be like seeing Alice Cooper live on stage. Like it's not really happening. <laughs> it's just a doll. The whole time Alice Cooper doesn't come to his concerts anymore. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> So he doesn't get to make his Marie Antoinette, which is kind of sad, but he's the villain, so you kind of get it. The but he police. does immortalize himself. Yeah, in there's wax. like a police tusk. There's a lot of fist fighting in this movie. This there's movie has a lot. lot of fist fighting. Well, we graduated from the, the mob with pitchforks and fires to just fisticuffs. Yeah, the house is burning down. Let's fist fight in it. it was the only way to battle. acid bath, wax bath. Sorry, acid bath was yeah. the other movie. Fist fight in it. And then, uh, pew, Vincent Price falls in. <laughs> Pew! That was my fall sound. Such a triumphant ending, right? Big organ sounds, then pew! Yeah, the only thing that was missing, and John, you made a good point when I said this while we were watching it, I was like, I really wanted at the end them to open the wax museum and then Vincent Price immortalized in wax was the like the wax statue welcoming everybody in. Yeah. And then... But it implies that they're keeping a museum filled <laughs> with dead people open to the public. And I was like, oh, right. Those are all corpses that he stole. Yeah. It's 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 a crime scene. Like, sorry. It's, it's art now. You know the law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like it any more than you do, but we're going to come here every week and lay down flowers. Oh, man. So how do you rate... The House of Wax. The House of Wax, you know, first time seeing it, so it's almost harder to rate fairly because I'd like to see it a few more times before I know how I sit with it. But I think I'm going to give The House of Wax three out of four Eberts. There's some shit in this that is straight four out of four. But yeah, I'm going to give it three out of four. Yeah, I'm going to go three and a half out of four. Yep. I love the period aspect of it. I love the costuming. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't really have any kind of reasoning why it's set like that um this movie is actually based off a 1930 film 1933 it's called mystery of the wax museum Shit. and that one was set in the 20s so they're <laughs> like bringing it back 30 years for fun wax <laughs> wax sculptures are always behind the times yeah well they do mention like madame tussauds in in this movie i didn't like, realize that it was such an old she's thing. so old yeah <laughs> And it's so cool that that's around now. Like, I go in the Wax Museum in Niagara Falls, and they're all over the place. Yeah. They're all just, like, dumb celebrities now. But. They are. You can occasionally go to one that's, like, mobsters and serial killers and stuff, but yeah. they're few and far between. Everybody wants to get, like, a selfie with Taylor Swift. <laughs> Wax Swift. <laughs> Wax Swift. But yeah, so 3.5 is my rating. Uh, but let us know what you thought of both these movies, House on Haunted Hill and House of Wax. You can tweet at us at NOFS Podcast, and you can head to our Facebook group. That is facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. We are controlling transmission. This week's episode of Nightmare on Film Street is brought to you by Deadly Grounds, coffee to die for. Made from 100% Arabica beans, Deadly Grounds is horror-themed gourmet coffee without any fancy names or titles. This week's selection is the Harvester Blend. Roasted in partnership with Steve McGinnis, author of the Harvester graphic novel, the Harvester Blend is a dark Vienna roast that's smooth, buttery, and robust. Head over to getdeadly.ca right now and use the offer code NIGHTMARE to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's getdeadly.ca, and use the offer code NIGHTMARE to get 15% off. 
And if you'd like to win your own bag of the Harvester Blend right now, head over to Instagram at Nightmare on Film Street and enter our sweater weather giveaway. Enter now on Instagram at Nightmare on Film Street. We're going to stick around for a few more minutes and play a little game that Kim's put together. And if you get a quick second, if you can please leave a five-star rating and review wherever you're grabbing this episode. If it doesn't have a rating system, please just make sure you're subscribed. It really helps us grow in the charts and get uh, the show in front of more people, which is what we're always trying to do. But that's it for us this week. I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com until next week stay creepy fiends mike rowe here with a radical idea if you want to see more companies make more things in this country Buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.